Welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello, welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today I am chatting with Matt Moberg, who I have just gotten connected with through Chelsea Larson, who was previously on the podcast, and she was the one that recommended he come on and speak with all of you and share a little bit about who he is and his story, and I'm really excited to have him on because we don't even know each other that well, and I'm (laughs) all about him right along with all of you so back to the podcast um, it's so funny that this is really is a gamble like we have no idea <laughs> i have no idea who you are you have no idea who did you know i don't know if Chelsea told you this but she invited me into that book club um did she ask permission first yes yeah, she did she told us all okay Okay. Cause I was wondering that last time, like, um, you know, that feeling, but so I, you should have introduced me as a fellow book club member. So, you know, we don't even need to know each other. Our common ground is like this sacred ground now that we're, we're thick as thieves. Which I talk about the book club a lot on the podcast. So in my episode actually last week, I referenced you not by name, but I talked about how you told one of the members that they were, she was gifting her friends with this feedback and information and I just thought that was such a beautiful way to think about how we give feedback to people because for me personally I'm a general manager and I have always learned that when I'm giving feedback to my staff to view it as a gift but I'd never thought about it in the same sense of when I'm telling a friend that maybe they're not showing up in the way that I need them to or maybe they're not really being a great friend when I have that conversation with them I'd never really viewed it as a gift always mm. be big scary thing and it's so interesting to me it it made me think a lot about the concept of friendship and how that relationship is so different from you know a staff relationship a spouse relationship for whatever reason it's so much harder to navigate friendship sometimes I think totally yes completely and I don't know if you want to go in the weeds in that but like that that is something I've been thinking a lot about Alex just in the sense of so much of our friendships, they develop to be these maintainers of the status quo. And so ruffled feathers is a transgression, like saying the truth. <laughs> we don't do that here. And so that, that is like it. Ex- there is something beautiful, though, if you can do it with the sense of empathy, empathy and confidence and step into a, your friends lives and have the sincerity to say, I care enough about you to provide you with this ugly truth instead of coddling you with this beautiful lie. And this is the only way that you and I can have an authentic part of like sobriety too, right? Is like you get a glimpse of what authenticity looks like. And you're like, I I don't want to settle for the fake anymore. Like I've seen too much now to go back. Anyways, should I introduce myself? Should I tell people? (laughs) Let's introduce yourself. (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm sorry. You guys, I'm so ADHD. My name is Matt Moberg. Um, I am husband to Lauren Moberg, father of three little boys, all under the age of eight, Wyatt, Sawyer, and Graham. 
Uh, I pastor a church in the in Minneapolis called The Table, and um, and I'm the team chaplain for the Timberwolves. And so that's that's what I that's what I do. I, I also play music. Um, I'm trying to be an artist. You guys, so Alex, I said I was in that star, our star. I said I was in the store. Tell your tell your editor to edit that out. Okay, I wasn't in the star. I was up in the store. Went into Dick Blick and. I got all this. I got all this oil painting. I've been trying to get into, but I cannot figure it out. I cannot figure it out, and it's driving me batshit crazy. I'm losing my mind on it. I'm not a painter. I'm not an artist at all. Um, so maybe we won't have any chemistry. Well, maybe maybe your podcast listeners are going to be able to experience for the first time on your podcast what it's like to recognize that two people. Not everybody's going to be friends. Not everybody's like. Not every relationship is meant to be. True, but I feel like Chelsea felt that there was going to be some good chemistry here on this episode. So, Chelsea, I'm calling you out if you're wrong. If this goes south yeah. and I'm relationally scarred, it's all on Chelsea. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to come find you, Chelsea. Absolutely. So that's like a basic, um, I'd say just mile high, nuts and bolts. And, and on top of all the different roles that I, I play in the hats that I wear, um, this past weekend marks two months of me becoming sober, choosing sobriety every day for the past two months. And that's been, um, for those of you who've gone down the sobriety path, that's a life altering experience. It's, it's a lot more than just saying, don't drink today. It's really a jar. And that's what it's been like for me more. So I think than I actually anticipated it being so that's, that's kind of, I don't want to make that the theme of my overall life is that that is a man who lived and he did not touch a drink since. But I also am like, this is, this is a main part and this matters right now for me. So. I think one thing that I've come to learn in my sobriety is it is a big part of who I am. How long have you been sober, Alex? I'll be seven years sober in September. Dang. I got sober on my 24th birthday. Wow. And good for you. Yeah. It's been a wild ride. Um, when I first got sober, it was very much, it had been a long time coming where my family had really been like, let's do this. It's time. you like, you need to get sober. You need to stop drinking. But I was in that age where everyone is drinking and everyone yeah. out and binge drinking. And so my issues with alcohol were like easily masked to me. Other people saw that. But to me, I was just like, everyone's doing this, but I wasn't actually stepping back and looking at how detrimental it was to my relationships, to my life. I mean, my grades in college definitely suffered due to my partying habits, my friendships, my significant other, like everything was like struggling so much more than everybody else. But it was really easy for me to mask that because I saw everyone else around me drinking a lot too. And it wasn't until I had this like turning point that finally I was like, this is it. I got behind the wheel and I've talked, my first episode of my podcast was all about my sobriety and I got behind the wheel. I don't remember getting behind the wheel. And I woke up the next morning in a hospital. Luckily nobody was hurt. I wasn't hurt. Didn't know where like any of my uh, phone was, my keys, anything. And I had my roommates at the time, they were friends from growing up. They had their phone numbers memorized. So they came and picked me up 
with my dad who was picking me up the next that morning too my dad came and he to like find my iphone to find my keys my car my purse and it was at an impound lot and i had driven it and it had a beautiful new dent that i didn't remember putting there and they were like yeah we found this in the middle of an intersection in uptown and i was like so to what i can only assume happened was i got behind my car i must have tried to pull out hit someone else's and then went and took a little nap in a vestibule of an apartment that was not mine. Mm-hmm. And I woke up and was at the hospital and they told me all of this. And that for me was like so scary to think that I was behind the wheel, didn't hurt anybody, but I could have severely hurt myself, hurt somebody else. And I never wanted to have that feeling again. And that was the last time that I drank. I like told my friends and family, like I'm done. And that was really scary. And, you know, I, what I think has been so interesting for me over the last few years of sobriety is when I got sober, I was really under that idea of like, you're an alcoholic or, and I like really struggled with that for a long time. And I know you read the book quit like a woman. And I think Holly does such a beautiful job of explaining that you do not have to identify as an alcoholic or not to want to evaluate your relationship with alcohol. And I would love to hear more about your story and what led you to wanting to look at that relationship, because I think it's a, it's a hard thing to take that first step and actually see like, okay, I need to look at what way is alcohol like playing in my life? Like, is it adding value or what is it taking away? And that first step can feel really scary but then once you do it, I think you, you're able to lean into it a little bit more. And I'd like to hear more about your journey into taking that, like, hey, what's going on with alcohol? And why, why do I want to maybe remove it? Yeah. My, so my impetus wasn't a hospital bed, um, which is something that's interesting because I've kind of realized this lately that I didn't have the rock bottom moment where shit hit the fan. And it was like, you either got to stop drinking or your family's going to leave you or you're going to die. You're going to. In fact, I think what made my drinking even more problematic is that it didn't feel in particularly problematic. Like there wasn't a massive wake of catastrophe that was behind me all the time. And, um, and part of that is like, I I do relate to your story. When you talk about the lies that we believe I've made this list Alex, of like the lies that alcohol has, has convinced you of, and it's just growing all the time. But one of the lies, I think when you talk about like you can mask it because the contrast isn't really there. Like everybody else seems to be in that same particular place where they're drinking the same amount of alcohol. You're going to the same bar, seeing the same people. I've, I've always, I mean, I've been drinking since I was, I was teens, but I think it's um, especially in the past year in the pandemic stretch that we are in, when I would look around and we would all be joking about drinking at two o'clock. I didn't see th- anything as like this glaring stain on my life that I was drinking at one. Like there was this sense of like, this is what, um, <laughs> it's fine right now. <laughs> it's all like, and it's, it's, it's a joke, right? It's a laughing <laughs> matter. Cause we're all drinking right now. It's pandemic. You're stuck at home with kids. Kids aren't in school. Bottoms up. That's kind of like the, the ongoing punchline. I think what I've realized though, is that I'm, I'm drinking my, I realized is well, it's okay. Sorry, ADHD. But one of the things that I recognized even this past AA meeting from last weekend was while I was looking at the, around the room and hearing different Alex stories of people who woke up with cars and impound lots and hospital beds. And, um, there was somebody that shared saying, 
I got to the point where I was drinking um, and driving and hoping that a cop would pull me over. And then it happened <clears throat> immediately. It's, I honestly would say to you that it's the first time in an AA meeting. And I have like a mixed relationship with AA thus far. Granted, I'm in the opening chapter. It's too early to evaluate the gig. But immediately I felt like a resonance that I hadn't in a while because mm. almost nightly when I would be driving down to the Target Center for these Timberwolves games, um, I'd be drinking and driving. And I remember particularly, um, and I'd get to the games like two hours before. And so I, that's like a 4.30 drinking and driving. Um, but I remember on my way home where I, would, where I would start drinking again, I remember feeling like I hope somebody catches me. Like, I hope somebody is going to put me out of my own misery because I'm getting away with far too much. Mm. And so it was actually after a game on one of these, it was the night after one of the games where I had been doing a lot of drinking and driving where I was drinking again. And I recognized just how, how many times I've tried to quit the drink and was incapable of doing so. How many times I've, I've made promises to myself, never verbally, because I didn't want my wife to know. I, my wife was aware, but I didn't want her to know that I was actually trying because then that would mean I was recognizing that this had become a problem in my life. And so I told, it's embarrassing. I told my wife at like seven o'clock, I said, Hey babe, I'm going to, I'm going to go run some errands. And she's like, run some errands. What are you talking about? What? <laughs> You're not running errands right now. And I was stumbling and I'm like, um, I actually have to go meet with some people right now. I was going to AA. And so I drove to an AA meeting for the first time, intoxicated, and um, I got to the parking lot and I called my wife and I, I cried in that parking lot and I just told her I'm turning myself in. Um, I feel scared. I feel like a, an idiot. I feel shame. Um, but I'm going to go into this room right now. I'm going to name some of this stuff and I'm going to see what happens. And so I've been doing that and I've been going into the room, naming stuff and seeing what happens for the past two months now. And it's been, it's been jarring. You know, I think that one of the hardest parts about sobriety and again, like I, I struggle, Alex, even like doing this interview with you, it's like, I, I don't want to talk. I mean, I, I feel so, I don't have like this wealth of wisdom stored up from two months of sobriety, especially when on the other side of the screen is somebody who's been at it for seven years. But one of the things that I've learned already is just the, the reason the most challenging part of sobriety is when you have to turn around and see where you've been and like take account of the wake and take account of the times where I was drinking and driving um, with a kid in the car or taking account of the times where I was um, telling my in-laws that I had to go take a phone call in the car so I could come out here and drink and recognizing that for me, at least the drink was always, it wasn't like, um, I, I love the taste of alcohol or even any particular whiskey, though. I do love the taste specifically a fireball. I know that's like target market, 17 year old girl, but it really hit home for me. It is, it, it was a love affair, but I, I, I use it as a tool, like for social lubrication. Like I use it as a tool to help me be when I'm speaking on stages, when I'm uh, doing interview type podcast type stuff, when I'm, I'm meeting to talk with the team, when I'm meeting to meet with community members, whatever the thing might be, alcohol was the tool that I would reach for that would help me be successful in those moments that were coming and the tool that I would reach for when the success didn't happen and I needed to cope. And so it was this bookend thing. And 
here's what's really fascinating. And I come at this from a theological framework, just as a pastor and as somebody that, that finds so much meaning inside of this, this Jesus story. One of the things that, that uh, is interesting is I didn't, you know, I went to the AA thing. I went to the AA meeting um, intoxicated, like didn't really think about it that much. It's like, I'm kind of an impulsive person in general. And that's where that impulsivity led me to that night. But the next few nights were loaded with things that I for sure would have been drinking for. Like the uh, trigger, like the things that, that are going to be like, I need to have a drink if I'm going to pull this off. Yeah. Next night, I had to speak to our entire community at, at the church about, I can't even remember what it was about. The, and then immediately after that, I had to go to the Target Center and talk to the team about um, this racial justice movement that we were trying to create. Two circumstances right there that I for sure would have been drinking prior to. The night following, I had um, I had to meet with a member in our community one-on-one. Would have been drinking before that. Like the anxieties of like, they have expectations for who I am on the stage. Am I going to meet their expectations when they sit across me from a table? All of those things, they, they drum up inside of me. And it was just fascinating me from the theological standpoint to feel like there was some sense of providence to be like watch you you've been going for years now thinking you can't face these moments without this tool loaded up in you but watch yourself here you're gonna walk through it you're gonna do fine and i did like i went through it and so part of it has even been like through therapy recognizing that um the damage you know when i talk about even taking account of the wake behind you and being honest about the ghosts that are there Part of it is like recognizing that every time I took a drink, I was, simultale- I was simultaneously telling myself that I am not enough without this drink in me. Mm. And so now I see it though, Alex, so like I haven't drank today. And by choosing not to drink today, I'm telling myself I am capable. I am qualified. I am enough. I have nothing to prove. And so I'm not worried. I'm trying not to worry. Day by day, incrementally, I'm getting closer to that place. Mm. That was all over the map. I, was any of it digestible? Yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that I want to kind of unpack a little bit more of. One thing I, I think with your story, we I do a women's group on Tuesday and it's just a bunch of young women that are sober. And what we talk a lot about is everyone's story to getting to sobriety is different. And I think for so long, it felt like you had to have this rock bottom moment. And if you didn't, then keep on drinking. And I think as a society, we're making a shift around the fact that, well, no, you can just recognize alcohol is impacting you in a negative way in some way, shape or form. And what you were talking about of, you know, alcohol is making you, it made you feel like you weren't enough and you needed it, but actually it allowed you when you got sober to recognize you truly are enough. You don't need to drink. And yeah. I think that's such a beautiful turning point of you were able to step back and see like this thing that I think a lot of us view as like the way to social connection. It's the connector. It's what allows us to go out and be at these social events and we need it to be able to really connect, but it does the opposite. And I think mm-hmm. you were talking about of how at the time you felt like, well, okay, I I need this alcohol to be able to show up, to lead, to do what I need to do here tonight. But then now you're able to actually see that you don't need that drink, that you are out it. And I think that's such a 
powerful, powerful thing. And it's a great reminder that anybody listening, if you are feeling that alcohol is giving you this like false sense, false identity at all, maybe you evaluate your relationship with it. It doesn't have to be my story of hitting rock bottom. It doesn't Mm. To be identifying as an alcoholic, there's so many different pathways to taking a look at that relationship, and I, I, I just think it's a really great way to think about it. As it, we are given this like false sense of what alcohol does for us, and once it's removed, yeah. we're able to actually see like, oh shit, this was inside of me all along. And I feel personally, and I don't know if you've started to feel this yet within yourself and your sobriety, but for me initially, it was like. I'm going to lose out on so many things like being sober. I'm going to like lose my friends. I'm going to lose the opportunity to go out. I'm going to lose this, this, and this. And as I've gotten further and further into it, I've only started to see the more things I've gained and the more Mm -hmm. things my sobriety has given to me and the things that alcohol actually was taking from me. Yeah, that is for sure. True. And part of that again is like this idea that sobriety really sobers you up. Like it's, I think that one of the tendencies and even for me going into it and, and even why I believe in therapy so much is that we tend to make sobriety so small. And so we tend to make sobriety about, um, Hey Matt, don't touch that whiskey, but it's also like start touching what you want and, and start asking like these bigger questions of things that, because that's ultimately what sobriety is about. Anyways, it's getting to uh, that place where you're wanting more for your life. Mm-hmm. And so living that out consistently and recognizing the deficits that were incurred when you were taking in the drink every day. Um, yeah. And part of that relational connection part too, it was one of the first lies I wrote down is that alcohol led me to believe that, that it is a prerequisite for relational connection. When in the reality is it just makes you talk more like that's, mm-hmm. really, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a difference. <laughs> well, and we, we talked about this the other day of just, it gives us this idea that we are connecting with all these people when actually we're just like talking a lot, but we're not talking about anything beyond the surface level conversations. We're not actually having in depth, meaningful conversations, which I think is really what we all crave. We crave true human connection. And that's why I love book club. It's a group of people that none of us really knew each other outside of I knew everyone through alchemy, like in some way, shape or form, but none of them knew each other. It's how I've gotten to know Chelsea. Like we went from not knowing each other at all to we talk weekly and she's became a really great friend of mine. And it's because we're able to have these like really in-depth, meaningful conversations and we're actually connecting. Yeah. Well, isn't that, um, I, yeah, there's a lot you can talk about right there. Just the idea again of how would you define, so we're kidding at the start. I I was kidding at least. I don't know if you were kidding, but I'm trying to figure out if we're going to have relational chemistry in this conversation. How would you know if you are, is it just like the absence of awkward silence in between our words? Mm -hmm. Like, or is it, is it like, is it, is it, um, to use like abstract language, like soul seeing soul, you know what I mean? Like the, the deep crying out to the deep, the sense of, because I think by and large, our metrics for what is chemistry and what is not chemistry is, was it uncomfortable to be in that conversation? (laughs) If it was stay the hell away from that person, because you two are not a match made in heaven. That's a very dumb and shallow and not an edifying way to actually live nor relationally navigate. Well, and, 
And I think it, that's where like alcohol gives us this false sense that, oh, they, we had a fun time with that person. But I think to your point of what, what is chemistry and how do you know if you're actually truly connecting with someone? To me, it feels like I feel like I am truly connecting to the people that like understand where I'm coming from, understand who yeah. I am as a human being, what I'm looking for, how they can actually show up and support me, the type of person that I am and the type of person that I need them to be for me is what I look for in a friendship. And that's why this year has been really interesting for me because having that book club and having these like really meaningful conversations where I feel like there's just like this natural like flow of really great energy at each of the meetings. And I hope that you kind of noticed and felt that when you dropped in, um, it just like everyone just like kind of vibes off of each other. And I started to realize like, oh shit, like I don't have that same energy sometimes with some of the people that I would say are my longest friends. And so it's made me like really question like what is a friend and like what does that mean to me and what am I looking for in my friendships and how do I start to have some of those same conversations and same meaningful connections that I feel with like some people that I'm just starting to get to know. And yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I and, and and I think like here's the other side of it. And tell me if I'm wrong, because you might disagree with me. Is um um I think that there's a tendency when you recognize how shallow some of your relationships are that it's you get a new kind of tunnel vision on we need relationships of depth only. And so what I mean by that is like there's a thing where our church, our our community, the table, it was planted in a reaction to conservative fundamentalism. And and I think if we are not careful in our running away from the fundamentalists, we can become a new kind of fundamentalist. Mm. So what happens, I think, when the, in these relationships is we talk about the shallow end versus the deep end, but really we're all trying to learn how to swim in one pool. And so sometimes I'm going to want to do a cannonball into the deep end and let my hair down a little bit. But a lot of times I'm getting older. I'm going to need to like walk my way through the shallow end. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm going to need to maybe just sit my tush down in the shallow end and let that water just come up to my waist. Like there is the there is space for us talking about life and death and sobriety. And there's space for us talking about fantasy football and the wild winning yeah. last night. And do you know what I mean? And I yeah. think like, I think I think it, making relational space for the full gamut of human emotions to be present, accessible, available and for it all to belong. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fear of the deep end, though, is is it goes back to I, every time I drank, I was simultaneously telling myself that I was not cut out for it. Every time somebody refuses to go into the deep end, they are telling themselves that they're incapable of actually going to that place when the reality is they're already in that place. Like it's giving you, it's one of, one of the things we talk about at our church is like, we ask all these questions about God, theology, church, history, um, politics, the connections in between each, like we're all tangled up in these things. And I always try to remind everyone that like, I'm not trying to get you to ask new questions about your faith. I'm not trying to get you to question anything. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to give you permission to accept the fact that you already are. Like you, when you close your eyes at night and you're thinking about these things and the irreconcilable differences and the disparities, all of it, you don't have a perfect bullet point answer to like sum it all up. Well, here's what I, here's what we know. No, you don't do that. Like, so you have these questions, live into the questions, but make space for it all. 
that's what I think in relationships. What and I think part of it is again, like what are we what are the messages we are reinforcing to ourselves when we restrict ourselves to this side of the pool or that side of the pool? I want to be able to swim the whole damn thing. And I think that the best kind of relationships are the ones that do so as well. Yeah, I like that a lot of just you know, surrounding yourself with different types of people and different types mm-hmm. of relationships that fill up different buckets of what your needs are because I think that is true what you're saying. And I think it's been like a really weird year for me personally, in terms of like looking at friendships and what I'm looking for within a relationship of a friend. And I think what you're saying is a really good reminder to me too, that it is nice to also just have friends that you enjoy spending time with each other and you have a great time and maybe you're not having those in-depth conversations and that's okay. And then you have other people that fill up those buckets elsewhere. And so you're giving yourself that opportunity and your analogy of like moving about the pool and you filling up for me, like I think of it as like filling up the different buckets that I need. Like sometimes I need a bucket full of just like laying it all out of like the shit that I went through today. And I just need someone to listen and like help me through that. But then sometimes I just like need a bucket full of just like fun, good energy where we're just having a great time and we're just enjoying being in each other's presence. And I think that's like what you're talking about of like the deep end and the shallow end and like letting yourself like move freely and not feeling like you need to restrict those relationships. Well, if you think about like how we are formed as human beings, you think about your most formative moments. I'll, I'll put it, I'll say me, for me, my most formative moments in, I don't know if I can pinpoint, like, here's my highlight reel of what I've, the moments that really took me from boy to man. I, I don't know if I have that necessarily, but if I think about moments where I remember even, honestly, moments that are memorable, things I don't want to forget. I think about critical conversations. I think about conversations of depth. And I also think about laughing around a table for hours with a group full mm-hmm. of friends. Like formation happens on the shallow end just as much as it happens in the deep end. And I think it's important just to, I've just, I've just, I sense it in, my, I've sensed it in myself, Alex, where it's like, I, I can't have friendships anymore with these people because they mm-hmm. don't. And instead it's, it's like in, even in the conversation, in our book club, I could have that empathetic posture where it's like they they're not being assholes by not swimming in the deep end. A lot of them like do not they they're terrified of going to that place. So they're scared for their own reasons, the things that they're caught up in. There's also like the, especially in guys, this fear of like, I don't know how to do it, and I might hurt him more if I try to go there with him. Mm. And so there's just a lot of complicating factors that just um well, it leads me to want to be more gentle with people in general and more open open to all sides of the pool. I like that. And I, it's just a really good reminder to not feel like you ever have to have, I mean, when I think about it like a little bit more, what fun would it be to have like a few really close friends that were all exactly the same, right? Yeah. It's nice to be surrounded with different people with different personalities and energies and life experiences and ways that they can show up for you. And I mean, for me, just like having this conversation, like I'm having like a really good like thought process in the back of my head of like, okay, like embrace, embrace being around like all these different friendships because all of these friends do really love you and they show it in different ways and you connect in different ways and you enjoy being together in different ways and that's okay. And it doesn't have to be everyone's doing it the same exact way. And I, that's like a really great aha moment for me, just in this conversation that we're having together. 
I, and I guess the question also is like, what is the, so what we're talking about right now is there's negotiables as far as like how, what the relationships look like, but any relationship also has non-negotiables. And so Lauren and I, my wife, we're not going to sleep around with everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. it, we're just not going to do it. We're going to be committed to one another in that way. It's a non-negotiable for us. So like, what, what is like a, a non-negotiable for me? It's okay. So use the analogy. Let's talk pool a little bit longer. If I'm in the shallow end with some friends, like super, as long as I'm allowed to go to the deep end when I need to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in particular, like it, a non-negotiable in relationships with me is that all of me is allowed in that space. One of the most, um, and tell me um, if I'm preaching too much, because this is like my, my, this is how I frame things no, up. But one of the, the stories of Jesus that, that always inspires me and, and whether you, you know, whoever your listeners are, believe in God or not, that's fine. Some days I do, some days I don't. But the story of Jesus is like beautiful to me. It's a beautiful story. It's not something to defend, but it's just this. One of the stories is post Easter when they say that he got up from the dead. If, if it's true, it just the story in and of itself is this story of somebody who somehow had the miracle of getting up from the dead. And yet when he walks into the room where his friends all are and they say, how do we know that you are real? He rolls up his sleeves and he lifts up his shirt and he shows them his scars. He shows him his open wounds. That is the only way we'll ever know if anybody's real is, is if we can actually do that. Can you see their scars? Like, can you see their open wounds? For him to get up from the dead and not go through the work of cosmetic repair, but see that there's enough inside of this woundedness that the only way for me to have relational connectivity and a future of flourishing is if I keep these scars intact. For me, that's a beautiful, that's actually, you know what, Alex, that's part of the reason why I'm vocal about sobriety. I'm vocal about drinking. Like, I know, I know it's like, um, very frowned upon as a pastor to be an alcoholic or whatever label is, is most fitting. But at the same time, like it's through the scars that we're actually healed. It's through the wounds that we actually find wholeness. And so if it takes me lifting up my shirt and pulling back my sleeve and saying, this is the particular gaping wound at my side. Um, so be it. Cause we're all in this thing together. We're all fragile as all get out. We're all like, and, and we need to be honest enough to say that out loud. So when I think about friendships, I think about Jesus with the shirt lifted up and I think about, can I go into this room and roll up my sleeves and take off my shirt and show people where I'm hurting the most? If I can't, then I don't think it's actually a friendship. I think it's like just a way that I'm passing the time. It feels more transactional in that way. There were a few things about the conversation that you were just talking about. And I think one thing that I want to talk a little bit about, talk more about first is just like the idea of we all have these wounds and scars. And I think that is what makes us who we are, right? That is part of our story. Everyone has their own wounds and scars and it's scary to share them with other people. It's scary to like lift up your shirt and show where you've been and the struggles and the challenges that you face, but that's what makes us human right? We all have these different parts of us that are dark and scary. And it seems 
like, if I share this with someone, like, are they going to accept me for who I am? But I think when we're able to move past this idea of like thinking about what other people are going to think about our scars and we're able to just own them and embrace them wholeheartedly, even though it can be scary and it can be challenging when we can own the parts that have shaped us into the person that we are today. I think that's when like the growth truly happens and that's when the connection happens, but it also what you were saying is you said, we are in this together. And that's exactly like my hope of this podcast is people sharing their wounds and their scars and reminding people that they are not alone in whatever it is that they're going through. We all have to get through life and we truly are in this together. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Completely. Uh, And, and I feel like that's where my heart breaks the most when I look around at, I mean, you could choose Alex, you could choose any conflict in the world on a geopolitical level. You want to talk about Israel, Palestine. You want to talk about if we could go to a place where we're naming our actual pain and naming our fears and not just like these. It it stays so much in the head because we're so afraid of the heart. We're so afraid of saying, I don't know. We're so afraid of saying like even and again, I'll make it about guys like vulnerability is the scariest thing in the world. That's this is why growing up, like I, I heard my dad often say that he was stressed, but I've never heard my dad say that he's scared. Like I and I feel that like I get that sense. In, but the only way for us to actually be healed is if I can tell you, like I, it scares the shit out of me to face tomorrow. It scares the shit out of me to to um, I don't know how to raise kids. I've never done it before. I, and until we can name the things that scare the shit out of us, though. We're just going to be, we're going to be fake. And yet we're going to be demanding authenticity from everyone around us, hoping it's going to compensate for the absence of the authenticity inside of us. And it doesn't actually work. I, I just think like, I think, you know, even like the, the Me Too movement, the power in saying like, this happened to me and, and it's okay to name out loud that it happened to me. Mm-hmm. All the people who said like, can I really? Alex, I can't tell you how many people since I, I put it on Instagram that I'm, I'm pursuing sobriety, like being in a leadership role, how many different people from all around the country have emailed me or are, what is that? I DM'd me on Instagram. Yeah. It's it just saying like, I'm starting to go to, to, to meet with a therapist tomorrow to talk about my own drinking and how problematic it's become. We're all dealing with these demons. We're all dealing with these things. We have to name that we're dealing with these things. We have to. Yeah. It's like, it is, I'm so grateful for your podcast because it's so core to all flourishing is like when you learn that not all of these demons need to be avoided, they actually can be faced. Fires me up. It, it, I love that we're having this conversation. So on Mondays, I do an episode called the ripple reading and this mm-hmm. week's um, episode was Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it, the quote, exactly what it was, but it was all about honesty and transparency. And when we can do that, that's when like the real vulnerability happens. And I just think there's like nothing that's more true than that. Like when we're able to just be honest and be transparent about who we are and exactly like what you're talking about, like our fears and what's holding us back and our worries and our stresses, because nobody's life is perfect, right? We're all going through our own shit. And when we can just like own it and like not be afraid to share it out into the world, that's when really like 
we're humanizing life, right? We're meant to be humans. We're not meant to be these robotic, perfect people. And I feel parts of the culture is starting to shift in this idea of just show up as yourself and be yourself, yeah. own your shit. And it's okay to do that and know that you're going to be caught and someone's going to be there to remind you like, I'm here for you, or I've been there before, or I'm here to listen, whatever it is. Like, it seems scary to do it, but once you do it, I personally, for me, the ways that I've shown up and share different parts of my life, every time after I do it, it's like a little bit of weight was lifted off my shoulders. And sometimes I get a message from maybe one person that says, oh my God, I went through that same thing. I was feeling that exact same way. And that's where I like want people to feel so powerful. There's so much power in sharing what you're going through because there are probably people that read what you're sharing, your fears and the things that you're opening up about and they're reading it and they're like, wow, I resonate with that so much. I'm so grateful to that person to share it. But they might be too afraid to let you know that you made an impact in their life. And there might be tell you the impact that you made but the more we can just each keep sharing it's going to create this like really beautiful human experience for all of us to just feel like we can just show up like truthfully and honestly as ourselves i think that what you said about like we're moving i think collectively there is this sense that for so long we have been saying out loud that we are living our story while insisting on somebody else's plot Like again and again, we have been copying and pasting the ideals of society, neighbors, the people that we envy, because we see their highlight reels. We don't see what actually goes on at home. They might just have a good camera. That might be the extent of what they're doing that we're jealous of and trying to replicate in Mm -hmm. us. But there is this like, I was talking with somebody the other day as we're looking at the election for, you know, city council and mayoral races in Minneapolis next, this fall. I'm telling you, Alex, if if there was a candidate in in a debate who was asked a question, specifically a non-incumbent candidate. And they said, I have no idea, but I'm really committed to figuring it out and working with people mm-hmm. who do know. Cause instead of being like, well, we need to fix this affordable housing in zone three. And it, it's like, I, I'd be like, you have my vote for what you are acknowledging, even beyond what you are performing. And this is why mm-hmm. churches are being empty. This is why like all these institutions are starting to crumble because people are sick of performative stunt, stunts that are that are lacking in actual substance like it it it's not checking out the way that it was prescribed to do so and we're feeling that and it's catching up to us in our own lives and so the more that we can own our stories the good the bad the hard the holy it all belongs it all belongs the the idea of like people showing up as like trying to perform i think is such such a great conversation because i just was having this talk with one of my friends so I go to Eagle Rock and she was talking about how she just started going there and what she really likes is Jason who's the lead pastor there is always talking about ways that he's failing in life and showing examples of how he is just like anybody else that's in that room he's not any better than anybody else that's in the church and that was what drew her to wanting to come be a part of Eagle Brook. And that's what made me want to be a part of it was I never felt like I was being talked down then or less than it was always real life experiences and things that probably I've experienced in my own home. And then there's a part of me that also when I log into social media, and I know that some of it is so much a highlight reel, but then sometimes I am seeing people in their little squares choosing to share truths about themselves. 
that's when I'm reminded like, wow, there are a lot of people out there going through their own shit and they're starting to realize like the power and just speaking up about what they're going through. Because when you hold it in, that's when you feel more alone and more like isolated. And when you just move past that fear, you're going to actually feel so much more connected, like getting past that fear and just doing it and sharing and speaking out is the hardest part. But once you do it, you're going to feel a weight lifted off and you're going to feel this connection. But trying to get past that idea of having to always show up as perfect. I think it's hard to do because as a society for so long, it felt like that was the only way we had to live. We had to just show up and always be smiley and happy. And it's like, who wants to do that? That's not real. Right. 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 You start, you start focusing too on what's impressive instead of what's actually important. And you forget how to differentiate between the two. I, I heard a Ted talk recently um, on sobriety. And this guy was saying in there, he goes like, uh, when he's talking about the principle of just being rigorously authentic, um, he talked about how as a culture, whether you're watching movies or you're watching TV, there is such an ongoing infatuation with our heroes, the superheroes that are out there. And he said, like, have you ever considered why that is? Why is it that all of our superheroes need to wear a mask to hide who they actually are? So we, we celebrate and we expect Superman to save the world, but we make no space for Clark Kent to say that he's falling in love with Lois Lane. That should break your heart, but it doesn't break our hearts. It's like what, and so we do, how we treat our superheroes is how we treat ourselves and how we treat one another. And that's, that's not what we want. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not what we want. Sobriety, like I said, is about, is about wanting more for your life. Part of that's like about letting go of some parts of your life or maybe even re-understanding what is your life. Like, is it this 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 um, thing that you polish off and present to the world for their approval and affirmation? Or is it like you're you're not like moving for everybody else's round of applause, but you're you're moving from this place of enough and you're moving from this place of I'm actually sufficient in my story as I am, regardless if I get another paycheck. Regardless if anybody follows me on, on Instagram, regardless if, if anybody else knows my name, I'm loved, I'm seen, I'm safe, and I will celebrate that today. Like that, if you can start, that's what freedom looks like. Some of the people who have the most, people that I know, I'll, I'll say it like this, I'll name names, guys on the Timberwolves team that have more money than they ever dreamed of, have more success, have more accomplishments, and are more alone than they ever thought possible. And I'm more like, I have to live up and build this image as my brand. I have to be this way. And I feel like everybody can see me, but nobody sees me. Mm-hmm. And so you can have it all, but that doesn't equate to freedom. Freedom is having nothing and feeling like you can have it all. Freedom is being in that place where you are, are not reaching for anything because you trust that you've received everything you need and everything's going to be okay. Obviously, that's a little bit utopian and idealistic, but it's the aim. Like, I want that freedom in my life. That's why I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not going to use this tool to be somebody else to get something that I don't need. Like, I want, I need to start from a place of sufficiency, start from a place of trust that who I am is, is enough. Like, that's, that has to be the starting line of my story or my story will never start. What a, there is one, a few things that I love about what you're talking about of just, you know, asking yourself, what do you want in your life? Like, what do you want in your life? I think is such a great starting point to step back and really look at the life that you are living. And is it the life 
that you've wanted for yourself, but then also recognizing if you're asked saying like, no, this, I want more for myself, being aware that money isn't always the answer. And this idea of like having more things is what you need to have to like live the life you want. Instead, like, look at your life and be like, what do I want in my life in terms of like, who do I want to be in my life? And like, how do I want to show up and how do I want to live? And when you were saying like, be like you were using like alcohol as a tool to be someone. And then you started to realize like you could trust that you are enough. And I think there are a lot of things that we, as a, as a culture and as a society use as tools that we feel like we need to have to be able to show up as ourselves, but actually they're like restricting us from our truest selves. And so if we can step back and really just ask yourself the question of like, what do I want in life and who do I want to be in life? That's when I feel like these shifts are going to start to change or we're going to start to evaluate what ways am I restricting myself to get onto that path? Yeah. I mean, uh, to your point, like and sobriety sobers you up. Sobriety, it, it just, you, cause you recognize like I've been making these tools, the aim, and I forgot to how to, how to separate one from the other. And so like when I, a lot of people, when it's whatever the aspiration might be, right. I need more money. Well, what's the thing that you actually want? You want more security. I want to get laid more. Well, what do you actually want? You want to like, you want to love somebody and you want to be loved by somebody. I want to get some fame. You want to be known. We all, those are like, a human being is a creature that is a relational creature, period. And so if you get to the thing behind the thing, that's going to, it's going to keep you from like going into the next mousetrap, reaching for the cheese and going like, oh, how did I get here again? How did silly old, like it's, 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 it's having the sobriety to say, what's the thing that I behind the thing. And so what do I want is, is bigger than a title of a job. It's bigger than the the bank account number. It's bigger than the accolades and the trophies that we collect. It's, it's asking like, what would peace, what would peace look like if it was present fully in me? What would, if I were living in a place of abundance. So one of the things my therapist did to me and um, it was a really it might sound basic to you, but it was like revelatory for me. We, I have this thing in my wall. Okay. I have a thing in my wall that has the boxes of, uh, so it's got it, the average life of a Caucasian male born in North America. I can't remember the number, but I have the amount of weeks that would make up that expected lifeline. And I cross off each box as the week, um, as life goes on. So mm-hmm. I, I know like these are the boxes. So it's always like that, you know, that, um, that old phrase, memento mori, like remember your death, be aware of your own mortality and the fragility of life. But my therapist did this thing where she swiped the bucket list straight from my hands. And she said, okay, think about it like this though. W- what would you do with the rest of your life? If your life were to end tonight, if you knew that your life, your time here is over at 12 o'clock tonight, what are you going to do? all of a sudden, like my bucket list gets blown away. I'm no longer like trying to get to the next Butch Walker concert. I'm no longer like, how do I get courtside seats at this game? I'm no longer like, well, man, before I die, I got to make sure I see Italy. No, I am sitting down. I'm having a glass of wine with my wife. We're talking slow. I'm enjoying my kids. I'm present because I only have a few hours left. Questions like that, that actually put an end date in mind. For me, it sobers me up to see what actually matters the most to you. Like all those other things are great. I would love to go to a bunch of especially I'm so thirsty for concerts right now. But like what matters most to you? It's the things that I, I, I take for you forget like, oh, wait a second, that actually does matter most to me. And so now that I know that, now that I can 
articulate that, I need to re-architect my life to actually orient around those, those priorities. Mm. It's, it's coming back to your values and yeah. what really is important versus this idea that once I achieve that promotion, once I get to go to that country, once I get this, this, or this. And so often when we're like, you were talking about like the mouse trap, once we're so focused on these things versus what truly matters to us. And I loved what you were saying of, okay, you want to have fame. Well, no, you actually just want someone to like, listen and know you and know what you're about. And it's kind of like peeling back the layers. Like, what is it that you're actually craving in life? You might think it might be this thing and it might just actually be something that you're just looking to feel in your heart. And we sometimes I, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, where I'm like, well, once I get this, or once I do that, like, I feel like I'm going to feel fulfilled. And I've learned my lesson around that, that that is just not true. And so I've started to look a lot more inward of what am I hoping to feel? Like, what am I trying to feel in my life? Because when I feel those things, when I feel love and I feel kindness and joy and connection, like that's when I feel the most fulfilled. It's not when I'm getting a raise or it's not when I'm trap like I'm trying to think of like an example it's not the thing it's like the feeling for me and like I think thinking about more of exactly what you're saying of that feeling what are you really actually looking for and peeling back those layers is so important and coming back to what what truly matters to you the most yeah joy right I mean like what's the purpose for me it's joy it's participating in life in a way that is you actually want to savor and cherish the life that you're living so Alex, like, what if nobody ever listens to your podcast? Like, what if nobody cares at all about this podcast? Was it like that? That there's, I don't even, I don't care. It's boring. Whatever they're talking yeah. about. They're, what if? Like, do you do you find joy not just in the the I'm tickled to have this conversation kind of joy, but like we're touching on things of depth. We're we're providing this gift to the world through a conversation for other people who need to have these kinds of conversations. Is that sufficient for you? Mm-hmm. regardless of if there's, if there's a round now, obviously there's metrics in place to know, like, am, am I doing, am I giving the gift in the best way possible? Am I actually providing the nutrients in the soil the best way I can? So mm-hmm. of course, like, you, it's not like getting dumb about it where it's like, am, am I happy or not? Like, no, grow up a little bit. But, but there is also this thing where it's like, if nobody claps at the end of the day, will I still contribute? Mm-hmm. You can say yes, according to your that's what I get the idea of um, the three principles of recovery movements too, which just that you're going to be rigorously authentic. You're going to be surrendering the outcomes and you're going to do uncomfortable work. These three things, they're going to keep me in line with whatever makes me say, even if the claps don't come, I still will go forward. I still am going to pursue this thing because this, this has weight and I want to spend my life doing things that are weighty. <clears throat> I, it's such a great thing to think about is, will you do things the way that you're doing? And will you live your life the way that you're living it? Even if you're not going to get that recognition, even if you're not going to hear the claps or the applause. And it's a really, that's a challenging like question to look inward and think about. And are you filling up your time and your plate with the things that fill you up with so much joy that it doesn't matter that you're getting recognized for it. That it doesn't matter that you're getting 
the claps that you might've thought you were searching for. You're just so joyful with the way that you're spending your time that that's what matters to you the most. And nobody's go ahead. Well, I was going to say nobody's pure either way. Like right. we all get confused about, am I doing this because it's impressive or am I doing because it it's important? Like we always, we're, we're always going to be like, we're never going to be like, I'm only doing the important things now. They old me that did the, that's so yesterday. No, you're, you'll probably be back there soon. Like we'll get tripped up. Like that's the, that's the, the water that we were raised in, right. Is to, is to impress the people around. And so it's going to naturally happen. But like, if we can, if I can increasingly grow more aware of my motives behind the things mm-hmm. that I do. I will, I will become increasingly better at staying out of the mousetrap and like, and, and, and like growing in that peace and stability and steady handedness in life. Well, there's going to be a lot more fulfillment when I, mm-hmm. when I think about if I am letting myself just feel the joy of the way that I'm spending my time, I'm going to feel a lot more fulfilled. There's going to be less pressure around having to achieve a certain thing because I know that I'm doing the things that bring me so much happiness and that I love them so much that it just is really, really fulfilling. I mean, for me, I think about my husband's always like, you are doing so many things. You're doing so many things. And I'm like, yeah, but at the end of the day, when I get done with them, even if I'm tired, I feel so great because of the way that I spent my time. Like, there are Monday and Tuesday, I have book club every other Monday. And then Tuesday nights, I lead a sober group of girls. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Like, how am I going to make it through? And then every Tuesday night, when we get off that call, I'm like, this is what it, like, this is what I need. Like, this is why I do this because it feels so good. Like I feel so much joy in my heart when I get off of those calls. And to me, that's what, everyone, I want everyone to experience that feeling of when they go to bed, it's just like, they can look back at their day. And there was parts of it that was just like, hell yeah, that felt so great. I feel so good. And I'm feeling really fulfilled. And that doesn't mean I feel that way every day, but I'm starting to recognize the certain things that really do fill up my cup. And I'm trying to find more ways to put my time towards those and take away the things that suck things out. I mean, sure. Are there things that suck my energy? Yeah. Sitting and doing a bunch of emails is not bring me joy, but I have to do those tasks. And it's finding that balance of, okay, what are the things that bring you that joy? What are the things that fill you up and are going to help you to live the life that you want to create and are going to help you to feel so whole and so true to who you are and the life and the path that you want to go down? And that's, and that's, you're speaking from a place of maturation though, because like that, that is the, the other side of it. It's like when you talk about joy and we talk about, um, you know, what is unique about your wiring that's going to connect to the things that are going to bring you life. There's, there's also the side where it's like, um, people get real utopian and grass is greener and they start becoming more aware of the dents and the dry spots in their current yard. There are dents and dry spots in every yard. <laughs> like I, I love a lot about w- what I get to do as a pastor of a community, but I hate doing invoices. I hate doing like emails after lo- Sometimes I hate doing meetings. Like there's a lot that I don't like, and that's part of life. Like that's just it all in this. It, it goes back again and again to that recognizing that like this is in our relationships. This is in our, our own growth is that it's, it's like, it's a mixed bag and that's, mm-hmm. it's, 
it's like um, Jesus talks about like the wheat and the weeds. They're going to grow together. So stop, stop worrying about why is that here? They, they tend to stick together. Like they tend to link arms in life. And the, as much as we'd like binary thinking in black and white, this is good and this is bad. Things are a lot more gray than we ever thought. And so why would it be any different in where we spend our time and who we are as people and who we're people with? Like, it's just, yeah. And part of that too, Alex, I think is, is the gift of, um, the gift of alcoholism, which maybe that's not the right way to say it. But what I do mean is that there's very few things in my life that have made me turn around and see the wake behind me and seeing how, um, like I think having to take an account for the things that I've done in the places I've been and who I've chosen to be and trying to perform as this, this person, like I had it all together and the fear that kept me from saying that, no, I do not. It, it, part of the, the gift in turning around and recognizing the wake is that I get to simultaneously recognize that I'm standing still and that I'm here and that I made it. And if I can recognize that despite all of that, my family didn't leave me, despite all of that, I, I still have people that love me, despite all of that, I get to see another day, then it really is true that life is a gift and love is the point. And I want to orient myself around that aim. Sobriety really does give so many things. And it's, it's this thing that I wish everyone could experience, which I know is impossible and not everybody will, but it is such an eye-opening experience. And each year I get further into it and I learn new things about myself and what I'm capable of. And I'm able to self-reflect on, you know, where I started and to where I am today. And I mean, this past year has probably been the most pivotal in my sobriety, just in the sense that, you know, I went to AA so religiously and then the pandemic hit and I became a new mom and life just kind of changed. And so I started to connect with my sponsor, but then we started book club and I started a group of sober girls. And so the way that I've been connecting with sober humans has been just in this like whole new sense. And it's been a really cool way for me to just reconnect to my sobriety and my why and have really in-depth conversations with other people that might be weathering similar storms, but might also just need to hear my own experiences. And I need to hear their experiences. And we're able to grow down this path together. And on our call on Tuesday, the topic that I had us do was the unexpected joys of sobriety. And mm. It was just so, it was fun to just sit and actually think about the joyful parts of sobriety and what it's given to all of us and the things that we didn't even think about. And everybody had so many great ideas. And for me, it's just one thing that I am so thankful for. And like one of the biggest joys it's given me is the ability to be in my eyes. I'm now able to be the best person in a relationship for my husband, for my family and for my friends. And yep. like that to me is what is so fulfilling in life. Like I am a reliable wife, daughter, friend, sister. And I never could have said that when I was drinking and sobriety has just uncovered so many layers of what we're capable of. And it really allows us to see the power that we all hold within ourselves. And 
I don't know. It's, it's truly just like such a transformational thing. And I'm excited for you and where you're at in your journey. And I am very grateful to you for like sharing your experience because that's what it's about. It's about sharing our experiences and our stories. And that's when we're able to recognize like, oh, there's a little bit of me in what I heard Matt talking about, or there's a little bit of me in what I heard Alex talking about, or wow, I never thought about life in that sense, or, you know, what ways am I looking for joy, or what does fill up my cup, and it's just speaking and sharing our stories and our words that have so much power, and sometimes we take that for granted. Totally, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. I have nothing to further to add, Your Honor. <laughs> My last, so my last question that I always ask is what is the ripple that you want to create? I want people to know that it's okay to be human. And I want people to know that it's good to be human. Mm. Like those two pieces right there, that it's okay to own your story. And also like, and it's really good. Like it's a beautiful thing to step into. Mm. Life is a gift. Love is the point. And you find that out when you realize it's okay to be human. And it's actually really good too. That's my ripple. That's a great ripple. Thank you so much. That is. Thank that you. is a really, really great ripple. Um, where can my listeners find you? <laughs> um, I'm here in my car right now. You mean in its present location? or? Uh... Well, if they wanted to connect with you in some way, shape, or form, how would they go about it? Um, social media. I feel like that's where I do a lot of connecting these days. Um, so Instagram. Instagram would be at Matt Moberg. And I'll take it for you. Thank you. That's honestly, I feel like Instagram tends to be my main, my main squeeze on the socials. They can send you some DMs. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Yeah. Perfect. Matt, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. So fun. Everyone listening. Thanks for being part of this community until next time. Let's go out and start creating ripples. Mm -hmm.